chapter thirty six part two of struggles and triumphs or forty years recollections of p t barnum written by himself this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by betty b struggles and triumphs of p t barnum chapter thirty six more about the museum part two it was evident that here was an opportunity to turn all doubts into hard cash by simply bringing the two dwarf dromios together and showing them on the same platform i therefore induced tom thumb to bring his western engagements to a close and to appear for four weeks beginning with august eleventh eighteen sixty two in my museum announcements headed the two dromios and two smallest men and greatest curiosities living as i expected drew large crowds to see them and many came especially to solve their doubts with regard to the genuineness of the nut but here i was considerably nonplussed for astonishing as it may seem the doubts of many of the visitors were confirmed the sharp people who were determined not to be humbugged anyhow still declared that commodore nut was general tom thumb and that the little fellow whom i was trying to pass off as tom thumb was no more like the general than he was like the man in the moon it is very amusing to see how people will sometimes deceive themselves by being too incredulous as an illustration the australian golden pigeons which deceived old adams were the occasion of another ludicrous incident a shrewd lady one of my neighbors in connecticut was visiting the museum and after inspecting the golden angel fish swimming in one of the aquaria she abruptly addressed me you can't humbug me mr barnum that fish is painted nonsense said i with a laugh the thing is impossible i don't care i know it is painted it is as plain as can be but my dear mrs h paint would not adhere to a fish in the water and if it would it would kill him she left the museum not more than half convinced and in the afternoon of the same day i met her in the california menagerie she knew i was part proprietor in the establishment and seeing me in conversation with old adams she came to me her eyes glistening with excitement and exclaimed oh mr barnum i never saw anything so beautiful as those elegant golden pigeons you must give me some of their eggs for my own pigeons to hatch i should prize them beyond measure oh you don't want golden pigeons i said they are painted no they are not painted said she with a laugh but i half think the angelfish are i could scarcely control my laughter as i explained now mrs h i never spoil a good joke even when the exposure betrays a museum secret i assure you upon honor that the australian golden pigeons as they are labeled are really painted i bought them for the sole purpose of giving old adams a lesson in their natural state they are nothing more than common white rough-neck pigeons she was convinced and to this day she blushes whenever any allusion is made to the angelfish or the golden pigeons in eighteen sixty two i sent the commodore to washington and joining him there i received an invitation from president lincoln to call at the white house with my little friend arriving at the appointed hour i was informed that the president was in a special cabinet meeting but that he had left word if i called to be shown in to him with the commodore 
these were dark days in the rebellion and i felt that my visit if not ill-timed must at all events be brief when we were admitted mr lincoln received us cordially and introduced us to the members of the cabinet when mr chase was introduced as the secretary of the treasury the little commodore remarked i suppose you are the gentleman who is spending so much of uncle sam's money no indeed said secretary of war stanton very promptly i am spending the money well said commodore nutt it is in a good cause anyhow and i guess it will come out all right his apt remark created much amusement mr lincoln then bent down his long lank body and taking nutt by the hand he said commodore permit me to give you a parting word of advice when you are in command of your fleet if you find yourself in danger of being taken prisoner i advise you to wade ashore the commodore found the laugh was against him but placing himself at the side of the president and gradually raising his eyes up the whole length of mr lincoln's very long legs he replied i guess mr president you could do that better than i could commodore nutt and the nova scotia giantess anna swan illustrate the old proverb sufficiently to show how extremes occasionally met in my museum he was the shortest of men and she was the tallest of women i first heard of her through a quaker who came into my office one day and told me of a wonderful girl seventeen years of age who resided near him at pictou nova scotia and who was probably the tallest girl in the world i asked him to obtain her exact height on his return home which he did and sent it to me and i at once sent an agent who in due time came back with anna swan she was intelligent and by no means ill-looking girl and during the long period while she was in my employ she was visited by thousands of persons after the burning of my second museum she went to england where she attracted great attention for many years i had been in the habit of engaging parties of american indians from the far west to exhibit at the museum and had sent two or more indian companies to europe where they were regarded as very great curiosities in eighteen sixty four ten or twelve chiefs of as many different tribes visited the president of the united states at washington by a pretty liberal outlay of money i succeeded in inducing the interpreter to bring them to new york and to pass some days at my museum of course getting these indians to dance or to give any illustration of their games or pastimes was out of the question they were real chiefs of powerful tribes and would no more have consented to give an exhibition of themselves than the chief magistrate of our own nation would have done their interpreter could not therefore promise that they would remain at the museum for any definite time for said he you can only keep them just so long as they suppose all your patrons come to pay them visits of honor if they suspected that your museum was a place where people paid for entering he continued you could not keep them a moment after the discovery on their arrival at the museum therefore i took them upon the stage and personally introduced them to the public the indians liked this attention from me as they had been informed that i was the proprietor of the great establishment in which they were invited and honored guests my patrons were of course pleased to see these old chiefs as they knew they were the real thing and several of them were known to the public either as being friendly or cruel to the whites after one or two appearances upon the stage i took them in carriages and visited the mayor of new york in the governor's room at the city hall here the mayor made them a speech of welcome 
which being interpreted to the savages was responded to by a speech from one of the chiefs in which he thanked the great father of the city for his pleasant words and for his kindness in pointing out the portraits of his predecessors hanging on the walls of the governor's room on another occasion i took them by special invitation to visit one of the large public schools uptown the teachers were pleased to see them and arranged an exhibition of special exercises by the scholars which they thought would be most likely to gratify their barbaric visitors at the close of these exercises one old chief arose and simply said this is all new to us we are mere unlearned sons of the forest and cannot understand what we have seen and heard on other occasions i took them to ride in central park and through different portions of the city at every street corner which we passed they would express their astonishment to each other at seeing the long rows of houses which extended both ways on either side of each cross street of course between each of these outside visits i would return with them to the museum and secure two or three appearances upon the stage to receive the people who had there congregated to do them honor as they regarded me as their host they did not hesitate to trespass upon my hospitality whenever their eyes rested upon a glittering shell among my specimens of conchology especially if it had several brilliant colors one would take off his coat another his shirt and insist that i should exchange my shell for their garment when i declined the exchange but on the contrary presented them with the coveted article i soon found i had established a dangerous precedent immediately they all commenced to beg for everything in my vast collection which they happened to take a liking to this cost me many valuable specimens and often put me to my trumps for an excuse to avoid giving them things which i could not part with the chief of one of the tribes one day discovered an ancient shirt of chain mail which hung in one of my cases of antique armor he was delighted with it and declared he must have it i tried all sorts of excuses to prevent his getting it for it had cost me a hundred dollars and was a great curiosity but the old man's eyes glistened and he would not take no for an answer the oots have killed my little child he told me through the interpreter and now he must have this steel shirt to protect himself and when he returned to the rocky mountains he would have his revenge i remained inexorable until he finally brought me a new buckskin indian suit which he insisted upon exchanging i felt compelled to accept his proposal and never did i see a man more delighted than he seemed to be when he took the mailed shirt into his hands he fairly jumped up and down with joy he ran to his lodging-room and soon appeared again with the coveted armor upon his body and marched down one of the main halls of the museum with folded arms and head erect occasionally patting his breast with his right hand as much as to say now mr oot look sharp for i will soon be on the warpath among these indians were war bonnet lean bear and hand in the water chiefs of the cheyennes yellow buffalo of the kiowas yellow bear of the same tribe jacob of the caddos and white bull of the apaches the little wiry chief known as yellow bear had killed many whites as they had traveled through the far west he was a sly treacherous bloodthirsty savage who would think no more of scalping a family of women and children than a butcher would of wringing the neck of a chicken but now he was on a mission to the great father at washington seeking for presents and favors for his tribe 
and he pretended to be exceedingly meek and humble and continually urged the interpreter to announce him as a great friend to the white man he would fawn about me and although not speaking or understanding a word of our language would try to convince me that he loved me dearly in exhibiting these indian warriors on the stage i explained to the large audiences the names and characteristics of each when i came to yellow bear i would pat him familiarly upon the shoulder which always caused him to look up to me with a pleasant smile while he softly stroked down my arm with his right hand in the most loving manner knowing that he could not understand a word i said i pretended to be complimenting him to the audience while i was really saying something like the following this little indian ladies and gentlemen is yellow bear chief of the kiowas he has killed no doubt scores of white persons and he is probably the meanest black-hearted rascal that lives in the far west here i patted him on the head and he supposing i was sounding his praises would smile fawn upon me and stroke my arm while i continued if the bloodthirsty little villain understood what i was saying he would kill me in a moment but as he thinks i am complimenting him i can safely state the truth to you that he is a lying thieving treacherous murderous monster he has tortured to death poor unprotected women murdered their husbands brained their helpless little ones and he would gladly do the same to you or to me if he thought he could escape punishment this is but a faint description of the character of little bear here i gave him another patronizing pat on the head and he with a pleasant smile bowed to the audience as much as to say that my words were quite true and that he thanked me very much for the high encomiums i had so generously heaped upon him after they had been about a week at the museum one of the chiefs discovered that visitors paid money for entering this information he soon communicated to the other chiefs and i heard an immediate murmur of discontent their eyes were opened and no power could induce them to appear again upon the stage their dignity had been offended and their wild flashing eyes were anything but agreeable indeed i hardly felt safe in their presence and it was with a feeling of relief that i witnessed their departure for washington the next morning in the spring of eighteen sixty four the united states consul at larnica island of cyprus turkish dominions wrote me a letter declaring that he and the english consul an american physician resident in the island and a large company of europeans as well as natives had seen the most remarkable object no doubt in the world a lucis naturs a feminine phenomenon this woman was represented to have four cornicles on her head and one large horn equal in size to an ordinary ram's horn growing out of the side of her head and the consistency of the horns was represented to be similar to that of cows or goats horns this singular story continued these horns have been growing for ten or twelve years and were carefully concealed by the woman until a few weeks since when a vision appeared in the person of an old man and warned her to remove the veil she wore or god would punish her she sent to the greek priest she being of that persuasion and confessed to him and was ordered to uncover her head which she at once did she was subsequently seen by the entire population and the french consul in company with others offered her fifty thousand piastres to go to paris for exhibition the english consul i was further informed had pronounced this woman to be worth her weight in gold and i was assured that if i wished to add her to my wonderful museum 
and present her to the american public the most remarkable object yet exhibited i had only to send an agent immediately to secure the prize informing myself of the trustworthiness of my correspondent who also wrote a similar account to the new york observer i was not long in making up my mind to secure this freak of nature and i dispatched mr john greenwood jr in the steamer city of baltimore for liverpool april thirtieth eighteen sixty four he went to london and paris and thence to marseilles where he took a syrian and egyptian steamer to palermo and from thence proceeded to cyprus on arriving if he could have seen the woman at once he could have re-embarked on the steamer which sailed again in a few hours for other islands but unfortunately the woman was a few miles in the interior and poor greenwood was detained a month on the island before he could take another steamer to get away worse yet the woman spite of the impression she had made upon so many and such respectable witnesses was really no curiosity after all as it proved upon examination that her horns were not horns at all but fleshy excrescences which may have been singularly shaped tumors or whens it is needless to add that my agent did not engage her and after a month of discomfort and hard living he succeeded in getting away and sailed for constantinople mainly to see what could be done in the way of securing one or more circassian women for exhibition in my museum on his way through the mediterranean he had the following adventure on board the steamer the harem of a turkish pasha occupied one side of the quarter-deck which was divided off from the rest by a hurdle fence run longitudinally through the middle of the deck greenwood was one day sitting in an easy-chair with his back to these women and their attendants when feeling his chair move he turned and saw one of the pasha's wives getting over the hurdle and as there was scarcely room for her to squeeze herself between the chairs in which passengers were sitting he moved his own chair out of the way and rising offered his hand to assist the woman over the fence she indignantly jumped back and greenwood was immediately seized by two of the pasha's attendants violently shaken and taken to task in turkish for daring to offer to touch the hand of one of his excellency's women greenwood had that day formed the acquaintance of a fellow-passenger a young greek from scio who was going to beirut to act as clerk for a merchant in that place he spoke good english and seeing greenwood in trouble among the turks and knowing that he could speak neither greek nor arabic he went to the rescue and demanded an explanation of the difficulty upon hearing what was the trouble he informed the turbulent fellows that greenwood had no motive in his act beyond simple common courtesy the prisoner however was still detained in the grasp of the turks till the will of the insulted pasha could be known on deck soon came the irate pasha in company with an old gentleman who was said to have been tutor formerly to the present sultan of turkey when the two heard the charge and the explanation and had consulted together a little while greenwood was released but for the friendly interposition of the greek he might have been bastinadoed or even bowstrung during the remainder of the voyage he was closely watched but he was very careful to be guilty of no act of politeness and he went on shore at constantinople without so much as saying good-bye to the pasha in constantinople he had some very singular adventures to carry out his purpose of getting access to the very interior of the slave-marts he dressed himself in full turkish costume 
learned a few words and phrases which would be necessary in his assumed character as a slave buyer and as the turks are a notably reticent people he succeeded very well in passing himself off for what he appeared though he ran a risk of detection many times every day in this manner he saw a large number of circassian girls and women some of them the most beautiful beings he had ever seen and after a month in constantinople and in other turkish cities he sailed for marseilles then went to paris picking up many treasures for my museum and returned to new york after a journey of thirteen thousand one hundred twelve miles End of chapter 36, part 2